You know, it's, uh, it's fun when we start to approach the Christmas season. We're, we're headed full speed towards Christmas, and we have a lot of people, except for these two rows right here. You know. I like that the two rows closest to me possible. That's really encouraging. Hey, one of the reasons uh, that we wanted to share that video with you, that's, that's Men of Iron. Uh, it is our, our men's ministry, which uh, is one-on-one, -on -one kind of uh, a mentorship, uh, year-long program. One of the reasons that we want to show that to you uh, is to let you know that uh, Mission View as a church does ministry year-round. Uh, it's not something that just occurs uh, during the month of December, and it's also not something that just occurs on, on Sunday morning here in this, uh, in this building, but uh, we seek to have men and women who have an uh, intimacy with God, community with others, and an influence in our world, and uh, there are uh, groups like this that are happening throughout our church, um, and they have a desire to, to do these things, to know God, to grow in Him, to serve Him daily. They have, they have a desire to do these things week in, week out. Uh, as we have a fellowship with one another and seek to learn more about him. So if that's something that interests you, uh, go ahead and uh, uh, these guys will be over at the welcome table after the service. Go and see if you can find one of them. Um, if you are a, a lady and you're like, man, shoot, there's, there's stuff for you too. There's ways for you guys to get involved. We have uh, if tables and we also have women's mentoring available as well. So if that's something that interests you, go and check that out. My name is Adam. I am on staff as the pastor of student ministries, which means I uh, have the privilege of enjoying time with your students. Um, and uh, if you have ever heard me teach before, you'll probably know that I like a bird's eye view of things. I like to step back as far as I can and then slowly narrow focus in. And so if I could take you backwards for a second. Uh, back into September, when we kind of flipped over into the new calendar for our church, um, our anniversary is in September. That's when people are heading back to school. We kind of treat that as our new year. We decided that uh, the, the vision for the next year in terms of teaching and in terms of the things that we uh, seek to accomplish as a church has to do a lot with leadership. So leadership is kind of our theme for the year. And so in September, we started off by talking about the core of leadership, core values like humility and being a good steward. And then as we moved into October, we talked about uh, giftedness and uh, gifts and how they manifest themselves uh, within the church. And then for the months of November and December, we've been talking about uh, overcome, the making of a leader, and we're talking about uh, Peter specifically. It's sort of a case study on Peter. And then in the new year, we're going to do Paul. And then after that, we're going to move into Joshua. And we're going to look at the Joshua and the Old Testament, his leadership. And so far, in this case study on Peter, we've been talking about his, his life and his walk with Jesus in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We saw him called to leave behind his, his previous life uh, and become a fisher of men. We saw his failing faith when he tried walking on water. We saw his newfound understanding and confession that this Jesus that he's walking with and living with is, is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior that, that Israel had been, had been told about and were awaiting. And then we saw his heartbreaking denial of Jesus uh, in, the, in the days leading up to his crucifixion. We saw how he kind of followed Jesus <clears throat> excuse me, at, a at a distance before he was eventually uh, tasked with leading the church by the risen Jesus. And then we moved into the book of Acts. 
And Acts is all about the birth and the growth of the church. And we saw Peter move from uh, brokenness to boldness, becoming a powerful preacher, a powerful force for the kingdom. And then last week we saw uh, Craig Peters was here and he taught us about Peter living a stand-up life in a bow-down world. And so essentially, we've seen huge transformation in the life of Peter. And he's a fun person to study because he is an idiot. Uh, he is probably the uh, biggest bonehead of the disciples. He um, is the guy who sticks his foot in his mouth, can't get anything to go right. Every time Jesus asks a question, he answers and is always wrong. Uh, but he tries, you know, and that's the best part about him. He's relatable, you know, is what I'm saying. He's relatable, he's lovable. And uh, I'm encouraged because if God can take Peter and make Peter into a great leader, then he can do that with us as well. If he can take Peter and make him into a fisher of men, he can do that with us as well. So go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 10. We're going to keep talking about Peter this morning. This is the account of Peter and Cornelius. Cornelius was a Roman centurion. Oh, yes. Thank you. Peter, uh, Cornelius is a Roman centurion. And uh, I have a, a sort of guide that's going to help us move forward into this uh, chapter. I have three questions. First, what must Peter overcome? Second, what must Cornelius overcome? And third, what must we overcome? That is kind of our application, transferring the principles that we learn into our lives. All right, let me pray first. God, thanks for who you are. You are good and you love us. Thanks for your word. Thanks for your spirit. Thanks for the fact that you are, not a, you are not a God who creates and then leaves your creation to fend for itself. But God, you desire to be intimately involved with us in our lives. So much so to the point that you decided to become involved when the problem of sin uh, cut off our relationship from you. So much to the effect that you gave Jesus, your son, uh, to be born in a manger of all places, and that's what we are celebrating in the upcoming weeks. And we're thankful for the relationship that we can have with you because uh, we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. God, I pray that uh, you would attune our hearts to your word and your spirit this morning. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're in Acts 10. This is actually the longest account of an event in the book of Acts. Uh, starting in chapter 10. It actually goes halfway through chapter 11. We're not going to read quite that much, but we're going to read a lot. All right, we're going to read almost all of it. Uh, here's why. There is value in reading scripture as one narrative. I think so often we zoom in really far into maybe a verse, and um, we really focus in on that verse. We're doing studies on the words. If you're really into that sort of thing, you'll look up what it means in the Greek, and that's it's, it's awesome. Uh, if that's something that you want to do. But uh, rather than stick to one or two verses this morning, I want to encourage us to take a step back. Have you ever heard the analogy of saying that God's word is like a cheesecake? If not, it's because I made it up. This is a cheesecake. You can take one small bite of one part of a cheesecake and have a very awesome, rich flavor. How many of you love cheesecake? Great. You can have an awesome, rich flavor, but if you take a wider cut, you can get layers upon layers upon layers of flavor. And so, 
So often we zoom in on one or two verses of scripture and we forget that this is a whole book that's meant to be read as a whole book. It's the grand narrative, the story of God as he relates to us. And if we do, um, if we begin to practice an exercise of maybe reading even whole books at a time, we can get a better idea of what's happening in those particulars. Uh, let me give you an example. If I was to read the book of Leviticus and I was to open up Leviticus in the Old Testament, I might get all these details about a particular offering or feast. And I could have no idea what it, what it means. But if I read the whole book of Leviticus, I might see this theme throughout that God is instructing his chosen people on how he desires they worship him. And so offerings and feasts as they take place in that book make a little bit more sense in the context. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Acts and so uh, Acts is all about, I mentioned it's all about the birth and growth of the church. This is a, a verse in Acts 1.8. You, uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This verse is the theme for the book of Acts. You see the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples in Jerusalem and then in the surrounding nations and then to the ends of the earth. And so I want that to kind of set the tone for how we read the rest of this. If we know the grand theme, it can sort of help our study. So, everybody ready? We're going to read through a lot of Acts chapter 10. All right, here we go. This is Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea... There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw uh, clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called, Cornelius called, two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up onto the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision which he had seen might mean, behold, the two men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I've sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of uh, by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day, 
He rose and went with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am just a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many people gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call a person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why, why are you sent for me? And Cornelius uh, said, four days ago about this hour, I was praying. Behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms have been remembered before God. Send to Joppa, ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging in Simon the Tanner's house by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we're all here in the presence of God to hear what you have been commanded by the Lord. So, verse 34. So, Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right and is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify uh, that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was saying all these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because, of the, gift, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing and speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing this people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. All right. <clears throat> this is the word of God. That is Acts chapter 10. And hopefully now we know the whole story. We know the whole story of what's going on. If we remember what uh, the Acts 1-8 passages was, passage was, that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, we can see that so far already in this passage. All right, let's get into our questions. First, what must Peter overcome? All right, so Cornelius gets a vision. He sends for Peter. Meanwhile, Peter is in another town 37 miles away, and he's going up to the rooftop to pray. We don't have flat roofs here, but in the Middle East, flat roofs are pretty common. They don't have a bunch of snow, so they don't have to worry about the roof caving in. 
Uh, and so there's usually an external staircase that leads up to the roof, and there's some walls generally, and so it is a relaxing place. It is a place that you go to kind of get away and relax. So he goes up there to pray, and it's about noon, so it makes sense that he's hungry, and he's just relaxing, and while Peter is there, he has a vision that the heavens open, a great sheet is let down on the earth, and there, is an there are animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and he's told, rise, kill, and eat. This is weird, right? It's kind of a weird thing to see. Uh, keep in mind that Peter is accustomed to seeing crazy, strange, and miraculous things. He is the guy that has been walking with Jesus, right? He, is, he has seen Jesus let down his nets and pull up a whole load of fish. He has seen Jesus turn water into wine. He's been with him and seen him do these things. But rather than be amazed at this vision that he is seeing, he instead is confused and is even a little bit offended. And this is why. For Jews, Jews know that in that Old Testament Mosaic law, that Leviticus, that book of Leviticus, where it's all about how God instructs them to worship him, he knows that there are guidelines laid out as to which animals were clean or unclean to eat. And Peter's also made a habit of disagreeing with whatever he's told to do. So he says, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. He's been pretty good with this so far. And he's rebuked. What God has made clean, do not call common. And this happens three times, which is good because I said he has a tendency to disagree. So he is told three times. Does anybody else have a tendency to disagree with things? Right. He has been told three times, what God has made clean, do not call common. Poor Peter. He's just relaxing. He's actually in a house by the sea. Did he catch that? He's in a house by the sea, waiting for lunch. And then God... Uh, drops this on him. I don't know about you guys, uh, when I am at my most relaxed is when my brain starts firing on all cylinders. As soon as my head hits the pillow, I'm thinking, okay, it's time to go to sleep. I just want to turn my brain off. Maybe I'll count some sheep. And then my brain is like, nah, maybe you should think about every problem you've ever had since the day you were born and come up with a solution to those problems. Or I'm, I go to sleep and my brain says, hey, Adam. And I said, yeah, yes, brain. And it says, do you know how to solve a Rubik's Cube? And I said, no. And my brain says, well, maybe you should learn. I'll conjure an image of a Rubik's Cube in your mind and you can figure it out for the next hour. <laughs> Has it ever happened to you, though, where you have tried to relax and that is the moment that God has chosen to put something on your heart? Where you put something specific into your mind right as you're trying to relax, right as you're trying to take a break from God or take a break from spiritual things. Uh, I, was, I went with the students on a mission trip to Mexico this past summer, and it was great. We spent a whole week there with one of our missionaries. We are, we are praising God. We are reaching people. We are handing out Bibles, doing work projects, all sorts of things. And then on the way home, it's a great trip, on the way home, uh, for some reason, one of our students had a different uh, seat than the rest of us, and he was off by himself, and he said, Adam, would you trade with me? So I said, sure, no problem. Uh, so I traded, so he went back with the rest of the group, and I was by myself, and I was like, this is great. It's a great opportunity. I'm going to put some headphones in. I'm going to relax a little bit, and then the woman next to me says, hey, can I talk to you about something? I said, sure. She goes, I want to talk to you about God, and I said, oh, Great. She goes, I'm a Jehovah's Witness. And I'm just like, ah, oh, I, I wanted to take a break. 
I'm done with the trip. I just left it in Mexico. Let me come home. Or maybe you uh, found a couple extra bucks and you were going to treat yourself to a fancy pants Starbucks coffee and then you saw somebody homeless outside on your way there. We have a tendency sometimes to say we want to turn off the, the spiritual things in our lives and just take a break from God. And it kind of makes you wonder when, when and how does, does God speak to us. Remember, Peter goes up to the rooftop to do what? To pray. He's not turning God off for even his lunch hour. He's not distancing himself from the responsibilities to which God has called him, not even for a moment. And we, we do that. I'll give, my, I'll give God my attention on Sunday morning, but on Wednesday, Wednesday when my boss is being overbearing, or on Thursday afternoon when my children are being unruly, uh, God's not on my mind. I'll give generously in December, but the rest of the year I don't think about it as much. Or I'll make disciples in Mexico, but not on the plane, or not here, or not with my weird neighbors who have flamingo lawn ornaments and things. Part of Peter's new life is him becoming ready to hear and respond to God at any moment. And we hear God speak in a variety of ways, most notably in his written word where he details what his will is for us in our lives here on this earth and beyond. And God can and does choose to speak in whatever way he pleases at his own time. But if we want to be better at receiving God's words, we need to always be ready and attuned to hear what it is he has to say. And so the first point that Peter needs to overcome, the first thing he needs to overcome is the temptation to distance himself from God. He needs to overcome the temptation to take a break from God for a bit. And I think he succeeds here in this regard. He goes up there to pray. Uh, my wife, uh, I usually carry my keys on my belt loop. Uh, my wife says that she can hear me in the grocery store from a mile away. If, you know, I'm, I, you're going to go get this, I'm going to go get that. She can hear me from a mile away because she is now attuned to what that sounds like. She's never surprised by me coming up, you know, uh, into the same aisle as her. Peter needs to overcome the temptation to distance himself from God. And he does that by always being ready and attuned to hearing what it is God has to say. Moving on, in verse 17, it says that he is perplexed. He's perplexed. He receives this vision, and he is perplexed by it. And I love this verse because so often in the Christian faith, we as believers treat the most perplexing, confusing, or bizarre passages as completely normal sometimes. And we say, oh yeah, it's the word of God, so it, it makes total sense, right? No, it doesn't have to make sense. Peter says he's perplexed. I'll give, you, I'll give you an example. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary, you found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. I love how this angel's hyping him up. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary says, wait, 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 wait. How can this be since I am a virgin? And we treat this as completely normal sometimes, and we don't emphasize the fact that God is doing something amazing and miraculous here. That God is becoming flesh in Jesus Christ. Let's get excited. Jesus turned water into wine. Jesus made the lame walk. Jesus made the blind see. Jesus forgave people of their sins. And then Jesus died and came back to life. And so I say this all to say that we could stand to be a little bit more perplexed at the mysteries of God. We could stand to ponder these things a little bit more and not just say, yeah, you know, if, if we're talking to our friends, okay, so God is three in one, he's, he's three persons, yet he's one essence, you know, and then, and then move on. Peter is faced with a choice when he encounters something that he doesn't understand. He can either be discouraged by it or be excited about it. And so Peter needs to overcome the temptation to dismiss God's word. If you're, if you're visiting this morning and you think, man, some of what you Christians believe is kind of crazy, I would reply, yes, it is. I know it is. Isn't it great that God doesn't operate, operate inside the human restrictions that I put on him? That the mysterious, miraculous God doesn't fit right in my pocket. And so if you're a Christian, it's okay to acknowledge that this book has perplexing things written in it. How does the Trinity three-in-one work? I don't know. Does anybody know exactly? But ultimately, let's, let's be perplexed and ponder. Let's do theology together. Let's not seek to put God in our own little box, but seek to know him more and love him more. Let's study his word. Let's talk about him with peers like you saw in this video of Men of Iron and ponder the perplexing with our, with our families, all while knowing we have confidence in having a friend in the familiar son, Jesus Christ. So I want to be excited and marvel at the mysteries of who God is. If you're discouraged by the fact that not everything about God's word makes sense to you, you're going to feel that way forever, and you might have a wrong picture of God as somebody who needs to completely fit in your pocket. If you want to read a whole book about that, read Job. Read the book of Job in the Old Testament. All right. At this moment now, Cornelius' men have arrived, and they're seeking Peter. Peter is still perplexed and pondering. And notice in verse 17, it says, they stayed at the gates until Peter invited them in, in verse 23. And at this time, there's a strong divide between two ethnicities. You have the Jews, the chosen people of God, and then you have the Gentiles, or the non-Jewish folks. And they basically occupy the same geographical location. And at this time, Israel is under Roman rule and authority. So you can bet that that adds to kind of the ethnic tension here. And yet, Peter goes to Cornelius' house in Caesarea, which is a Roman town 37 miles away, and he says this, You guys know 
how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone from another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Verse 28. And then he begins to preach to them about the life, death, resurrection story of Jesus. And this is because the popular thought at this time regarding salvation, people were getting saved, was that the Gentiles, the non-Jewish folks, had to convert to Judaism and then they could be saved. But Peter says, he comes to this new understanding in verse 43, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. I've heard the complaint before that Christianity can seem very exclusive. Now, if, if I don't believe what you believe, then that means I'm going to hell. Yes, but, but, it is inclusive in that it is the message of salvation for all who believe. It is inclusive in that anyone can come to have a relationship with him. Paul echoes this. He says in Romans 1.19, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or Gentile. Peter had to learn this truth. And so what he had to do was break free of the previous spiritual barriers that he had stored up in his own heart. Which brings us to the third thing. Peter needs to overcome the temptation to decline God's commands like he had almost done earlier, like he had tried to do earlier. He had to obey God in this instance when it was contrary to an entire lifetime of teaching. He had to break free from his preconceived notions about what God's kingdom should be in his own mind and instead bend to the will of God and relinquish his right to be comfortable. God tells him, go. And he goes. So put a pin in these things and we're going to come back to them at the end. Moving on, now we're at Cornelius. Cornelius is the, uh, the second character in the story. I want to build a little, uh, little profile for, Corne for Cornelius. Here's what we have so far. Cornelius lived in Caesarea, Roman town. He was a Gentile. He was a centurion, which meant he had command of about 100 men or more. I think century, 100. And he, uh, with that title comes a little bit of stature. You don't get that far in the Roman military without being, uh, having a little bit of oomph behind your name. Next, he was devout. He feared God. He encouraged his household to fear God. He was generous. He prayed continually to God. And he is well spoken of, even by the Jewish nation. So, so far, Cornelius seems like a great guy. Was Cornelius saved? No. Cornelius was not saved. We see that in Acts 11, verse 14. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household, referring to Cornelius. If you keep reading in this story, you see uh, Peter referring to why he was sent to Cornelius' household. It was so that he might become saved. And this is discouraging to a lot of people. How can somebody be all these things and not be saved? What you have in Cornelius is a good, virtuous, and even spiritual man who is not a Christ follower. 
And so we learn a lot from just this. Your stature in life doesn't save you. Your devotion and your loyalty doesn't save you. Listen to this one. Even your belief in and fear of God doesn't save you. If you don't believe me, this is what it says in James 2.9. You believe that God is one. That's good. You do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Listen to that again. Your belief in and fear of God doesn't necessarily save you. Your leadership in the home doesn't save you. Your generosity and what you give doesn't save you. Your prayers don't save you. If you don't believe me on that one, think of all the times that you walked into a room in school realizing you had an exam that you didn't study for. Even being loved by people doesn't save you. And I'm not saying that these aren't good things. I'm saying that they don't grant Cornelius an eternity in heaven. This is Acts 4.12. There is no salvation in anyone else, for there is no other name other than Jesus under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, including ourselves. So if at the end of your life you're asked why you should be led into heaven and your response is a list of rites and rituals that you've performed. Well, I've gone to church this many times and I've spent this many hours on my knees in prayer and I have well-behaved kids and I have integrity at work. These things are great, but they are not recognizing the fact that Jesus lived and died and rose again so that you can have a right relationship with God. So that you can have uh, power over death and be with him permanently. I got saved in high school, and I had tried everything. First, I tried having really good grades. I tried everything to, be, uh, to feel saved. I tried everything to feel confident and comfortable in myself. I tried everything to have ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment in my life. I tried to have perfect grades. Then I tried to be an all-star athlete. Then I tried girls. Then I tried just being liked by everyone, didn't care who it was. Then I thought, well, maybe I'll just be a good person, and that will feel good enough. And eventually, every single thing came up empty. So if you're lucky, you'll realize that all these things lead to nothing. But if you're unlucky, they'll lead to something else that leads to nothing. And then you just wasted your time. Cornelius needs to overcome contentment in his own present circumstances. First, his wealth, his material things, his good family, his stature. But he also needs to overcome, here's the second one, confidence in his own works. He needs to overcome this idea that what he is doing is sufficient to save him. Again, not saying they're bad things. If you come from maybe a Catholic background, this might be a more difficult thing to swallow. But Cornelius, like Peter, was ready and willing. He was receptive to hearing God and move, have God move in his life. And so if those things don't save Cornelius, how, is it, how does he get saved? By hearing the gospel, by hearing the good news of Jesus Christ and believing and accepting that. This is what it says in Romans 10, verse 12. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him if they've never heard of him, how are they to hear without someone preaching or without someone telling? And how are they to preach unless someone is sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. 
He has to hear the word, and to hear the word, somebody has to tell him the gospel, share the gospel with him. And then finally, the third point for Cornelius is that Cornelius must overcome his convenience or his comfort limiting God. This is a man who is accustomed to giving orders to his servants, and he unquestioningly, unquestioningly obeys God's command to go find Peter. So he sends his servants, uh, he sends his servants 37 miles. He had the humility to let a Jew into his home. He had the humility to hear what he had to say. He even gathered his entire household and family to come and listen. Notice he didn't wait. Notice he didn't twist God's word. In fact, it's almost obnoxious when you have to read the same exact words several times in a row in this chapter. But he is relaying everything very clearly to his servant. He is relaying everything very clearly to Peter. And he didn't decide that he was too busy or it would be too much of an inconvenience to do this. So he needs to overcome his own convenience or his own comfort limiting what could become a relationship with God, a real relationship with God. All right, put a pin in that as well. Third question, what must we overcome? I want to bring your attention to verse 44. This is kind of the result of Peter going to Cornelius. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised, or the Jewish, who had come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit fell. This, uh, even just the, the language here is supposed to tie a direct link to Pentecost, earlier in the chapter, earlier in the book of Acts, I mean where the Jews first received the Holy Spirit as it fell on them. And so what is beginning with Cornelius is the Holy Spirit reaching the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, showing for a fact that God is not showing partiality in his love for the salvation of mankind. So go ahead and look at this for a second. This is Peter and Cornelius... These are the things that they need to overcome. Peter had to learn to break down the barrier that kept him from doing what God wanted. So, what barriers keep you from doing what God desires? Given our two examples here in Peter and Cornelius, if we want to experience the love and salvation of mankind, here are some things to work on. If I could make a broad sweeping generality here, I would say that if you are saved, if you identify as a Christian, you are in the category of Peter. If you are unsaved, you are likely in the category of Cornelius. They're not mutually exclusive, I don't think. But take a look at these things. <clears throat> if you are saved, do you try to take breaks from God? I think the biggest offenders... In this category might be uh, those in here who maybe have just graduated high school and are moving into college. And you're saying, well, I'm going to go and enjoy my time at college. And then when I'm done and I'm good and ready, I'll come back to the church and God and I will be good. I'm going to take a break from college. How many stories have you heard of uh, grown adults who have said, I, I've just rekindled my life with God after spending years and years walking away from him. 
Or this, we try to dismiss what we don't understand. And we say, well, that's too difficult or I don't want to join that community group or that Bible study because I don't get what's happening and we don't have the desire to ponder the perplexing things about God. Or you don't even open your Bible because it's, it's too hard. Or the most common one is this, that we try to disobey or decline what we don't agree with. Disobey or decline what we don't agree with in this book and we pick and choose the things that we like out of it. Yeah, yeah, I agree with what God says about how to handle my finances, but I don't agree with what God says as to how to handle my sexuality. If you are unsaved, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you probably fall in the category of Cornelius. You might decide you are just content and happy with where you are right now. I've heard that a lot in students. I think it's becoming increasingly more common. That you decide, well, I, I'm good where I am. I'm, I'm content with, uh, with my family and with my job. And I don't feel like I, I need to have a relationship with God. Or you're in the category of saying, I feel like a relationship with God is good, but I can get to God on my own. I can be a good enough person or a good enough parent or a good enough spouse or a good enough employee or whatever. Or we let our comfort and our convenience limit God and we decide God might be worth the investment, but not right now because I've, I've got this to do or I've got that to do or I'm too, I'm too busy. I really, I have a lot going on at work or I'm supposed to give money to a church that I'm part of, but, but maybe I'm, I'm saving money for a house or, or what have you. And ultimately, all these things that you see up here boil down to one thing, and that's pride. This idea that what we think or feel or want is above what God thinks or feels or wants. So my question is, can you break down the barrier of pride in your life? First thing you can do is take a look at those questions uh, and ask yourself, you know, where do I fall? It is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth that there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, uh, the man Jesus Christ who gave himself as a ransom for all. Let me pray. God, thanks for your word. Thanks for the story of Peter and Cornelius. Thank you for the fact that Peter had the boldness and the confidence in you to break down the barriers of his own life, to break down this idea that uh, the Jews should not associate with the Gentiles. And thank you, God, for ultimately providing your spirit to the Gentiles and ultimately the ends of the earth. Thank you for the fact that you have given us yourself so that we can have a right relationship with you. God, I pray for the folks in here this morning who are maybe visiting and maybe say, you know what, I am in the category of, of Cornelius. I am, I am unsaved, but I want to be saved. I want confidence in a relationship with you. God, I pray that you would um, put them in touch with, with a believer who can guide them through that process. And I pray that ultimately we would all have the humility to look at our own lives, correctly assess and judge maybe where our standing is before you, 
and break free of the pride that is limiting us from moving forward in our relationships with you. I pray that you would help us to break down these barriers. I pray that you would help us to break down the barrier of pride in our lives. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.